Hi. One of the features here on Less the Book Coach is going to be a weekly podcast. Everybody has a story. I spent 17 years in radio asking questions, and until I started this series, I had no idea how much I missed it. The format of these podcasts is going to be a guest and me in a conversation, and you get to eavesdrop. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed the conversation. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to today's podcast, Everybody Has a Story. My guest today is a longtime friend, Bob Huey. Bob and I have known each other for a number of years through the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers. Bob, welcome to Everybody Has a Story. Thank you, Les. Bob, uh, I want you to tell the story about an event that that you were involved in, and it happens to be in Spain, and you got me involved. And uh, so, let's start out with what was the event in Spain for the Speakers Association? Okay, we were. I'm actually uh, a part of a new organization over there called PSA Spain, and the originality of this started with I said, "Hey guys, I'm going to come over and visit." When would be good? And I said, how about April? And I said, how about if I, if you set your meeting for April 18th, I'll come over and speak for you because that's my birthday. And then I thought for a couple of days and thought, hey, I know a few speakers around the world. Maybe I'll see if anybody else will come and we'll turn it into like a morning. And then it evolved into a, a day and a half conference, which was going to be the 17th and 18th of April in Barcelona. So we had we had 16 speakers that were going to fly in from around the world. We were promoting the heck out of it. And people were coming, literally coming. We had people coming from Namibia and Australia and New Zealand coming to be with us to, to make this an international event, which would be a great way for them to uh, celebrate their first year of operation. And COVID hit. <laughs> and, you know, it was starting to hit around the world. And, you know, I was getting... Uh, some of my other engagements were, were canceling and I kept hoping this would go. And then all of a sudden uh, the EU shut down uh, in flights into Europe and then Canada shut down flights to basically just five cities flying out. Which meant I couldn't get there. So we reluctantly canceled it. And I went through two weeks of, Oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Everything's canceling in my life. And, and then I thought, wait a minute, maybe there's something we can do. So I went back to the speakers and said, hey, guys, maybe we can condense this and do a shorter version virtually. So what we did on the 18th, which was, again, on my birthday, we did a two-and-a-half-hour virtual roundtable for speakers. And, again, we had speakers attending from all over the world and presenting from all over the world right from our homes. And evidently, it went really well. Bob, I want to and go back. I, I want to go back to something that that you said at the oh. beginning at the beginning of this uh, segment, where you said, "Hey, I know a few speakers from around the world." Now, <laughs> I, I realize how much of an understatement that is. Some of our listeners might not know Bob Huey. Bob, how many countries have you spoken in? How many countries have you visited through Toastmasters and the Association of Professional Speakers? Well, I've, I've visited to 60 so far. I was supposed to be visiting and presenting in Lisbon on my way home from Barcelona in April. That would have been 61. I've actually spoken in, I think, 
28 or 29 countries so far. So, and I've been involved. I've been involved, for example, uh, in the speaking industry. I was a member of National Speakers Association, and I was a charter member of CAPS when we started uh, back in. I think it was '98. We we started officially, and I've been involved in the GSF, which started that same year. And I've also presented, I think, nine of the GSF country uh, associations. I think there's now 16 or 17 of them. For those not familiar, what is GSF? Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, the GSF is the Global Speakers Federation. Uh, that started in uh, 1997 when uh, at the National Speakers Association meeting that summer, uh, they got together and decided to start an international federation. At the point, it was the NSA. It was NSA Australia, NSA New Zealand, and the brand new, just getting started CAPS. That was the original four of the federation. Now there's, I think now there's 16 plus a, a virtual uh, association for people who are uh, not affiliated because they don't have an association in their country yet. I'm a member of that just help out you've you've outlined the speakers associations and and uh, your involvement as a speaker and that but you've been involved in every aspect of the business and that's where we first met uh in the canadian association of professional speakers foundation tell us a little bit about the benevolent effort that that the association goes through and that it's not just uh, finding another job and, and doing another engagement. I think the, the value okay. of that aspect is tremendous. Well, I, th I think a number of years ago, we decided, NSA had done this previously, so we had the idea from watching what they did. But we realized that sometimes, uh, if you're a speaker, you're a solo entrepreneur, which means you don't have any safety net. Uh, things happen. You know, people fall off a garage and break their back. They have major sickness or, uh, you know, floods or fires or just things like that. So we decided that we would start uh, a foundation to be able to reach out and assist speakers if, in times of uh, challenge. And I was approached to be on the board, I think, year two. And we, we looked at saying, okay, maybe we could start doing some fundraising. So that's actually where... Uh, you and I started working together and, and helping raise over about five years a uh, quarter of a million dollars to fund the association. And I still remember the night that we uh, we were in Montreal doing our convention and the foundation evening. And at 10.14, I think it was, I got on stage and announced, folks, we have a functional foundation because we had, we had surpassed the $100,000 uh, mark that evening which is the, the mark we had set as a, as a foundation board to say, once we reach that, that's achievable enough that we can put aside a certain amount of money every year to give away and keep respond, keep adding to it so that we can, and we built from there. So that's where you and I started hanging out and having fun. And that's where you and I sat on the stage and while everybody else was partying, we sat on the big chairs and having a glass of port. You know, I still remember that fondly. And, and celebrated what I think was a great auction, and we had a lot of fun with it. Back to oh, the back so to the matter at hand here. Uh, you you told us about the build up to the event in Spain. Then it's canceled. 
what the heck did you do? How did you pull it off in this world of virtual? Well, I mean, part of that is uh, I've, I've been playing with, with Zoom for a number of years. For example, last year, I was a regional advisor for Toastmasters. There have been 14 of us around the world every year that the, uh, the district leaders at all the different networks, uh, helping train them, helping guide them, you know, those kinds of things. I use Zoom Pro with my teams because I like to see people. So I was fairly familiar with it, and I had a Zoom Pro account so i said hey guys i've got i've got the i've got the technology we just need to figure out how to do it and how to control it and what we did that was interesting is each of us took what we would normally have spoken half an hour and condensed it or took a piece of it and delivered it in five minutes so in two and a half hours there was an awful lot of wisdom shared and then we just started promoting it saying hey come and join us sign up here and here's your login codes for your Zoom invites. And it didn't take long to sell out. Bob, uh, I was one of the attendees of that event, and I have to say that it was it was fantastic. The amount of knowledge, and I believe it was something like 35 uh, speakers that, that each had five minutes or so. It was well run and so tightly organized. Great event. What's the follow-up? What, what can you do after this event? Well, we're, we're still hoping that... Uh, that Europe will open and that we'll, we'll be able to do uh, the 2021 version of, of Destiny. That's what we had called it for this year. We called it Destiny 2020. And so we're really hoping that 2021 will allow us to do it live in Barcelona because we've, we've, we've done a lot of the work. You know, we know where we were going to have it as long as that's still available, you know, as far as the, the place. And a lot of the other things have been done. So there's no reason why we can't do it. And most of the speakers have said that they would uh, they would come back. You know, so I mean, we'll have to obviously confirm that. But And the other thing I'm thinking I might do for this year, for next year, is expand it to make it a full two-day program so we can include more speakers. Because um, what we were doing, we were doing a Friday night uh, and a Saturday until about 3 o'clock. So I think what we'll do is we'll make it a full two days and have an optional, optional awards night for the for the for the association. So that'll make it, you know, like all day Friday, all day Saturday, or or, or all day Saturday and and Sunday or something. We're not sure yet. We'll check that out. But uh, as well, uh, I'm looking at the fact that we've got we've got access to so many amazing people that we could be doing some other virtual events just to bring some wisdom and and fun to the. Uh, to the world, so uh, it's, it's the same thing. Like we were talking earlier before, before we started here about Stuttgart in Germany in September. At this point, it's still scheduled to be live, but my guess is it's going to go virtual, which means I will be I will be presenting to Germany from like from my office here and uh, sharing sharing the stories, sharing the ideas and wisdom, if you want to use that term loosely. Uh, to help get it across. And that's what's happening now in our industry. Is people are pivoting to saying, okay, I can't, I can't fly or drive to be there, but I can log in and I can zoom in and still share some of what I wanted to share. And that was, that was actually, for me, that was my turning point. 
was when when I was finding everything was canceling and I had to cancel Barcelona. Uh, it wasn't like I was depressed, but I was certainly down for about a week. And and I thought, mm, you know, because one of the reasons for me doing this is I love to travel. So this is a nice way of combining business with pleasure. And if I'm going someplace fun, uh, my wife comes with me. Like anytime I've spoken in Paris, there's not a hope in heck she's not coming. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, but you know that's that's kind of like you know you're you're not going with it. It's like with, when we heard the Toastmaster event was supposed to have been there this summer. She, she said to me, "By the way, you're going to Paris next year, aren't you?" <laughs> and of course, now that's been canceled too. So, but I decided that even though I couldn't travel, my message could because I had to think about what am I committed to? Am I committed to the travel, or am I committed to making a difference and bringing in my message? Uh, to audiences, and in in truth, it's the it's the message that's important. Although I, I still love doing it in person rather than virtual. Bob, if you had to break down that message, what is the message that Bob Huey takes to to the audience? Well, what I what I've said it, and I've, I've quoted myself a few times. You know, in challenging times around the world, uh, people need two things: they need help and they need hope. And that's my message. That's my business. You know, I bring encouragement, obviously, for the motivation part. And I bring uh, use-it-now techniques and, and ideas that they can use in their life and their business to make it better, to make it more effective, to make it more productive. Uh, that's what I've done for uh, over 25 years. So now I'm doing it virtually. And when you look to the future and I don't mean in the next three or four months whether you're deciding to go to Germany I mean further out has the speaking industry changed now or will it go back to the large meetings uh, in person where do you see this going what impact has these last three months had well I, I don't see any major large events happening for at least another year that's my honest guess is I mean, if you look at what's happening in the U.S. and you know where they're they're not even close to getting control of this. Uh, other countries around the world are at least getting a handle on it, but I I don't see any in-person meetings like big ones happening for you know at least a year, maybe a couple of years. But I I honestly believe that the business will come back, but it's going to come back different. It's going to come back um, with a blend of virtual and live. Because there's still there's still a need for in-person connection. Um, I'm sure you've noticed if you've been watching after a while, you get you get zoomed out if you've been watching a lot of sitting in a lot of Zoom meetings. It, it's good. It's nice to see people and have some connection, but it's not the same as actually seeing them. It's like my wife jokingly used to tell me when I was going to a TAPS event or a GSF event or a Toastmaster event, go have fun, get lots of hugs. And that's, I, I would tell people, hey, I'm only here for the hugs because I know I'm going to learn something. You know, because I mean, every time I've gone to one of the CAPS events or one of the other events around the world, I've learned something I could use in my business. But I'm there for the people. And I think there's that part of us that still really needs that. And that's not going to go away. In fact, I think that's going to intensify the longer we're not able to do it. So I think when, when it does start opening up, we're going to have to be careful. Because, I mean, you look at what's happening, for example, in the U.S., because people were tired of being isolated. They started going out, and they were stupid. And they're paying the price. You know, their hospitals are now being overwhelmed. 
and people are dying in bigger numbers because they they need the human contact and they need to think about uh, the trade-off. So uh, I do. You know, I, I want to make sure I'm around for a lot of years to do this. So I'm being very careful. Are we going to learn? But I, still, I still desire it. <laughs> are, are we going to learn to to build closer relationships um, through the virtual or through the electronically? I mean, you and I have the have the background of knowing each other and 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 having had the personal contact over eight or ten conventions, but we can get together on a telephone call or a Zoom call and and actually share some some pretty important things in our friendship. Are we going to have to learn to develop that skill via electronic communications? I think I think it's necessary. At this point that's that's our outlet. And whether we like it or not, that's what's changed is your contact uh, other than close friends and, and family in, in your, your geographical area is going to be limited to the people you can reach out to. And that's why platforms like Zoom and Skype and, and those kinds of things are becoming more and more important because it allows us to at least touch base and check in with our friends and our family. And, you know, like, for example, I don't do it every Friday, but some Fridays uh, I have a Zoom call just for some of my extended family. I I've I reconnected with my, my birth family last year. And I still have three aunts that are alive. One of them is 91. And she gets on the call Friday nights occasionally with her daughter because she's living in a house. And we have a good chat. Now, I've met her once when we, we had a little family gathering last summer. We went to the Calgary to meet some of these people. Uh, but So we can have that that contact and we can continue the conversation. If and you mentioned it earlier in, in in our conversation. You have an event coming up uh, in Germany, which is scheduled for this fall. Um, what's what's your your view on that? And and probably at this time, we'd agree that it, it's going to happen virtually. But are you changing the focus? Are you are you looking to build that virtual relationship, and and thinking of new ways to contact to to be in closer connection with your audience virtually? Well, yeah, I'm, I mean, part of the thing with, with learning Zoom is is learning how to leverage it. It's like any tool. And and to be honest, I'm, I call myself a late, a late adopter or adapter. You know, I mean, I had a, I had a, I had a, a computer years ago that was, for me, for many years, was a fancy typewriter until I actually understood the leverage power of being able to brain dump into it to edit to move around and then to actually write uh, so for me with the zoom in the last three months i've learned how effective a tool it can be for me to reach out and connect with people so i'm i'm learning the little tricks of the trade to make it better um, you know for example and the same thing with you know organizing my office so that uh it, it's a little more effective it's funny one little story, one of the ladies that was on our virtual roundtable uh, was zooming in so we could talk about her presentation and she wanted some coaching. And the second time she she zoomed in, she said, have, have you set up in a different room? I said, no, I just cleaned my office. <laughs> I, I got the clutter out of the way. Because <laughs> it looks so much different, you can actually see the desktop. 
you know, because I, I hadn't thought of it in the sense of what people see. I, I ignore it because it's there, you know. And, and, Bob, uh, the one thing uh, that, that I know about your office is that, that there's an awful lot of books. And I don't, think there's, uh, I don't think there's an individual on Facebook that posts more about buying books and collecting books and, and the value of books. So uh, let's talk a little bit about books. The world is changing. We're going to virtual meetings. And are we moving away from the printed word? Or where do you see physical books going? What's their future? Well, me personally, uh, I love physical books. You know, my my little library in Redwater just opened this week after being shut down for three months. And I was in there the first day they opened. Now, they're not fully open, so I couldn't wander the stacks and look to see what's there. But they, you know, the one lady was working there would grab some of the new ones and put them on a the table. And I could, you know, okay, I'll take that one and that one and that one. Uh, because I've run out of physical books to read other than, you know, going back and starting to reread the ones in my office. Uh, that's just me. I love, it's the same thing when I'm writing books, even though uh, I've written 30 books and 30 and 30 and 33, including the three anthologies or condominiums, as you call them, where everybody owns a chapter. I like that was something you coined. And I like that <laughs> condominium book. And and, and but, we've both uh, been in condominium books. We've both contributed the, to oh, them, so sure. we we know how they work. So yeah, yeah, we're all right with using that. It's like we each own a chapter, and then we promote it. But but yeah, I I, I I'm used to reading on my tablet because I do that when I'm traveling. I you know I'll 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 download ten books before I'm traveling, and rather than carrying ten books like I used to, you know, I used to physically take the books with me. Uh, now I, I put them on my tablet, but I still like a physical book. So even when I've done some of my books, I've done them as they were designed to be sold as eBooks, like ePubs. I still pay the extra to have a cover design that covers the back and print, even though it's a little small little thing, so I can physically see it and feel it, because that's, I like the physical book. So I, I think I don't think the physical books are, are going away, but. If you watch what's happening, the traditional publishers are dying off, and there's there's less and less of the big houses. Well, I don't the, think that the, the industry that is changing. Is it's evolving. Oh, there's, totally. There's totally. different methods of publishing, but uh, I know that there's a, a brand new release in your family. Uh, tell us about oh, that yeah. book and how it's going. <laughs> well, actually, my wife, who does all the editing for us, uh, just published her book. It's called Mom, How Do You? Uh, it's something we've talked about for years because over the years, her kids would phone her and say, Mom, how do you do this? Or Mom, how do you do that? And, and she said, wouldn't that be a fun book? To tell some stories and share some recipes. And uh, she's done that. So she got rid of the first 10. As well, she found another publisher because Amazon doesn't publish and ship to Australia. And her daughter's in Australia. So she found, I think it was Ingram. And she redid it with them, and her daughter already has has books down there and is going to be selling them at the market in Australia. So, uh, now, so at least Irene, one of us in our family is making money. Irene <laughs> is very fortunate. I think she has one of the best uh, book salespeople uh, on staff. Uh, tell me the story. <laughs> tell me the story about going to the post office and selling the first copy oh. of the book. Well, yeah, that that was funny because. Uh, one of the things that we wanted to do was to be able to offer signed copies to people. 
And, you know, depending on the size of the book, in Canada, if you're sending it out, it's either it's either uh, $4.45 or $10 and something, depending on where it fits, to go through like a little, little plexiglass slot in the office. So I took one in with me uh, in, in the envelope just to make sure how much it was going to cost to share, if somebody wanted one. And so I pulled it out and showed it to the lady because she, the day before, I'd, I'd been looking for the books as they were being shipped. And I said, yeah, this is what I was talking about yesterday. And she looked at it and she flipped through it and she said, can you bring me one of these tomorrow? And I said, well, I said, no, I'll sell you that one now. So I came home and, and gave Irene, you know, 20 bucks and said, there's the magic. I just turned your book into 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's doing well, but it's about and, the... And we sold a whole bunch already. You know, it's about the we'll, feeling we'll of getting that physical book. I would imagine, because I know the, yeah. the picture was on Facebook of Irene opening up the box when yeah. she actually did get the book. That's that's one of the magic parts was, of having like, a book. That was like Christmas for her. And and I understand what that feels like, because I remember, you know, I still get that every time I write a new book, and I physically get the first copy so I can look at it, smell it, and, and flip through it, and look, you know, that kind of stuff. But that, that joy doesn't go away. And, uh, but it, and I don't think that's ever going to change because I think people like it's the same thing for example uh, even though right now we're not we're not traveling and speaking but uh, if I if I'm traveling uh, in in some of the cases people are upset if I don't bring books along for them to buy you know I did I did an event last year and because it was because of the timing and stuff I didn't really get a chance to organize to bring any books with me and the guy came up and he said, what do you mean you didn't bring books? I was going to buy, I was going to buy a couple of books. He said, you always have books. And I went, sorry, didn't bring them for this one. So, because that's the point. If you're a speaker and you have a book, uh, you don't have to make a big sales pitch. You just, my big sales pitch is, by the way, I've brought along some of my books. They're in the back. If you'd like one, I'll be happy to sign one for you later. That's it. You know, and that that's, you know, anywhere from 500 to $1,500 every time I speak. Just, if they like you, they'll buy your books. That's what I found. And it's hard not to like Bob Huey. Hey, Bob, thanks a lot for, <laughs> being, for being a guest today. Uh, we've had some good times over the years, and it was a real pleasure to share with you where you think the industry is going and to know that there's some parts of it that are going to be the same. Thank you, Bob Huey. Thank you so much, Mr. Les. That's today's podcast. Everybody has a story. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed asking the questions. And if you have any ideas for an interesting guest or you'd like to hear more on any topic, please send the idea along to lessthebookcoach at gmail.com. <laughs>